Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we will hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches a message entitled, Peace in the Present. Let's join in now. How's everybody doing today? Good. You doing well? Yes. Um, hey, if you would, t- take your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians. Um, I'm really excited about this message today uh, as we go through the series, Fearless Future. Remember, the idea here is that uh, Paul has changed gears a little bit as we go verse by verse in Philippians here. Uh, Paul is, is, you know, in the beginning of the, of the book, he was telling us more about his character. He was telling us more about his, uh, his attitude, he was, he was, the things that are inside, the, the things you can't buy. You know those things that you just can't buy? Um, like a deer. Like yesterday, it was my first time deer hunting, and I couldn't even buy a deer. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure if I went to the store, they wouldn't have given me one, right? And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, the things you just can't buy. But he's switching gears uh, here in Philippians into the future and, and to his character and to um, the, the place that he knows he can go as a believer in Christ. And he has this fearless future that he ends Philippians with that is incredible. And, and so today, uh, you know, normally I try to warm you up with a laugh or something like that, you know, but I, I feel like uh, today this has been a, just a joyful church to be at, hasn't it? Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, we can praise the Lord for that. Um, But I want to go a different direction with you today uh, because here's what we've done. The first message was about letting go of the past, right? Uh, About what it means to let go of the past and grab onto the knowledge of Christ. This, um, the second, last week was about moving forward in Christ with communion. Wasn't that a great service to be a part of? And we saw 12 people move forward in Christ in baptism. We saw three people give their lives to the Lord for the first time ever. It was absolutely, I know you may hear me say this a lot and say, Dave, you say that about every Sunday, but it was the best Sunday ever, okay? It, it really was. It was the best Sunday ever. And, and um, today, uh, after dealing with the past and dealing with the future, today we're going to deal with the present. Has anybody ever felt like, okay, I know God's saved from, from my past. I know there's a great future in heaven, but what about right now? Have you ever thought that way, <laughs> you know? What about now? What, what am I doing? Uh, how do I get through now? Yeah, it's great. And this is what I love about verse-by-verse teaching. Hopefully you found Philippians. Remember, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right in the middle of your New Testament. If you need help finding it, turn to someone and say, hey, you, help me find this. And if they, don't say, if they say, I don't know where it is either, say, why don't you? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> no, it's, uh, but today is about the present, and the message is entitled, Peace in the present. Is there anybody here that needs peace in their present right now? Uh, uh, We need God's peace. And so what I want you to do, if you want to turn, you can, but you're going to need the New King James Version. That's what I'm reading out of to follow along. But you may just want to listen. I want to take you back to Daniel chapter 3. And let this be kind of the opening illustration for today. Uh, And I want to tell you, part of my heartbeat as I've gone into Billings, there's a lot of people who, who do know some things about the Bible, but, you know, I'm encountering quite a few folks who are saying, you know, I'm not sure I know all the Bible stories. Maybe I've heard of them before uh, and kind of know, but I, I'm not sure I really know, and that's okay if you don't, uh, but I want to help you with one today, and it is uh, three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and does anybody know the other one? Abednego, Abednego. that's right, uh, Abednego, and no one can say that last guy's name. He was, I'm sure that he was just, hey, you, back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Um, 
So I want you to listen to this about how God gives peace in the present. This is an amazing illustration. It comes from Daniel chapter 3. Here we go, from Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. Just listen to this story. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width was 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now for you uh, Bible scholars out there, Babylon uh, took Israel into captivity right around uh, 597 all the way to 582 BC. They literally started taking people out of Israel. They didn't get everybody, but they got a lot of people. And uh, Israel, a lot of Israelites didn't get to return until 538 BC. So they were in captivity, deported to Babylon uh, for a long time. There were three different big deportations that happened there. And in the book of Ezra, it tells us that the second temple was built. Um, when they came back, they started building the temple in 538 BC. So a little bit about Babylon. It says, and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to, get, uh, to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. There's something in the Bible about building golden images, right? It just doesn't work out very well, ever. And so... Verse 3 says, so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that, the king, uh, that king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. This dude had a lot of power, right? Can you imagine how many people he had? around this golden image that he built, really, which they were asking, he wasn't asking them to worship the golden image, he was asking them to worship who? Him, that's right. It says, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the electric guitar, no, the lyre, the psaltery, and the symphony with all kinds of music, you will fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. That would be quite a dilemma. Can you imagine if in Billings people asked us, you know, the government said, if you don't bow down and worship this idol I made, I'm going to throw you in a hot, fiery mess. I think the people of Billings, you know, the 9 out of 10 gun owners would rise up. Um, <laughs> something like that. <coughs> but for whatever reason, you know, they didn't have that kind of <laughs> deal going on there. Um, so here's what happens. So he asked them to do it. And it says in verse 8, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and the symphony with all kinds of music will fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. They're saying, see, remember? Remember you said that? Well, here's a test to your authority, king. He says, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. These guys were important. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due due regard to you. They made it personal, right? They do not serve your gods, little g, or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them saying, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? 
gets juicy here. You ready for this? This is a cool story. If you've never heard it, check in right here. Now, if you are ready, he's like, I'm going to give you guys another chance. All right? Let's, let's try this again. It's kind of like the, re- the rewind button. Let's pull the movie back. And it said, now if you're ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and the symphony with all kinds of music, it's repeating himself over and over, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Ooh. He thought he was challenging Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with their tough situation. But who was he really challenging? challenging God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. He is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. This is a bad day, right? Uh, How many of you have had a day like this this week, right? (laughs) Yeah, where you're like, that's me. I might as well have been thrown in. It would have mattered. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had a really bad day coming. He spoke and commanded, you ready for this? That they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He said, you're not going to just burn. You're going to burn to a crisp. And it's going to hurt from the time you even get 20 feet from this thing. Whew, this is getting good, right? And so he commanded certain men of valor, because he was such a stud himself that he wouldn't take them, right? Uh, He commanded men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers. I love this word. That's why I like New King James. Their, Their turbans and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot. Are you getting this? They kind of put it up to dangerous levels. It was starting to become like, get these guys in. Let's finish this. The flame of the fire. Are you ready for this? The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the guys who took them, right, get burned up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down. Bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace, then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? I thought, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why are there three? They answered and said, O king, you're right. You, you, You threw three of them in there. Look, he he said, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth, you ready for this? What does it say? Is like the Son of God. Who is the Son of God? Jesus. Jesus. The Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst 
of the fire. This illustration today is huge. Do you want peace in your present? Do you want to be the person who can walk through the storms of this life, who can bridge the gap between the past that you let go of and the future you have in Christ? Do you want to be a person who puts this thing called life, the 60, 70, 80 years you have, do you want to be able to put it together and have peace? Peace only comes through one person, and that's Jesus Christ. He will stand in the fire with you. But you have a choice today as we look at Philippians. Here's your choice. You can either be the faithless, godless person who, who serves something else other than God, and when you get close to the fire, boom, you're burned up. Or you can be the person who depends completely on God and demonstrates it by what you practice in your life and by what you actually do to say that I trust Jesus in any circumstance in my life. If you would, in your program, if you're taking notes, uh, look there at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. This is the key verse that we have. Um, this is the key verse we have uh, for today. I want us to read it aloud together. It's also up on the screen. So uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 1, 2, 3, let's go. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Wow, what a promise. Let's go to the Lord together. Jesus, as we enter Philippians, I know that it is when the fire gets turned up, sometimes seven times in our life, Lord, that is when we really start to unravel in our faith with you. Lord, it's when we've entered a, a marriage that maybe we go, what, what did I do? Or, or we're having trouble finding a job and we say, how do I make it work? Or, or Lord, maybe something's happened in our past and, it, and we just can't ever seem to grab a hold of joy. Lord, we've never allowed you to turn our mourning into dancing. Lord, it's during those seasons that you're there in the fire offering your hand. And, and Lord, many times we we get too consumed with ourselves to want to reach out and grab it. Lord, and we are anxious for everything. That's the kind of people we are. And so, God, as we look at these practices that Paul tells us about in Philippians, uh, I, I ask that you really would find a group of people knowing and doing your word. Lord, at the end of the day, it's your word that stands the test of time. It's your word that lasts forever. And so, God, we're making it a deposit, Lord, not a magic pill, but a deposit, asking you to build in us a great trust that you are the Prince of Peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So here we go. With that backdrop of the fire, we get into five practices that we see here in Philippians 4 of people who have the peace of Christ. And uh, isn't it a good thing to know that the peace of Christ can, can be had in, in this life? It's not some uh, thing far out there that you say, wow, that, that's nice for that person. How come that person's peaceful? I'll never have that. No, same God, same Lord. Jesus has the same resource. He wants to resource you with his peace in your present. And this is how um, he wants us to live 
to, to accomplish that. Check it out. Let's look at Philippians 4 and verse 1 where we find our first point. Our first point for taking notes is uh, practice number one is you have to be a peace giver. We'll talk about this for a second because uh, some of us are going to come to a realization and say, oh, yeah, my lack of peacefulness probably has to do with me, not the people that I thought were causing it. So this is what he says. Therefore, we'll talk about the therefore here in a second. My beloved and longs for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast, or some versions say stand firm in the Lord, beloved. Ah, he says step number one to having peace in your present, stand fast in the Lord and, 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 and long for him. Why can we stand fast in the Lord? Why can we be a peace giver? Well, um, Kat, if you could throw that map up for a second. Everybody remember this? We, uh, we saw this way back at Attitudes of the Heart. Raise your hand if you were here for Attitudes of the Heart. Yeah, uh, some of us were. Well, in Attitudes of the Heart, at the beginning of the book of Philippians, back in like August, back in that small Main Street building, you got that? Everybody remember that? Yeah. Wow, what a difference here, huh? Um, we, we learned that Philippi is, is by that big gold star in the middle, and Rome is all the way to the left. You see the, the boot of Italy there to the left, and Rome is a little further off the picture. Well, Philippi was about halfway on this road called Via Ignatia, and Via Ignatia was like the main travel highway of commerce for the Roman Empire, and it went all the way to Byzantium. Right there, you see it all the way on the right. And so Philippi was huge. Um, it was one of the, the most important cities for commerce that there was, and uh, here's, here's the thing you need to know about Philippi. You say, Dave, are you giving me a bunch of information? Yes. All right. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm a nut. Um, but, but here's the reason why I'm telling you this. Philippi was a Rome away from Rome. Do you get what I'm saying? It's, it was kind of like one of the key cities. It wasn't Rome, but if you couldn't live in Rome, you'd probably want to go to Philippi. You know what I'm saying? Like if you had to live in the middle somewhere. It was a Rome away from home, from Rome. Now, if you look um, at verse 20 and 21 back in chapter 3 where we were last week, where does uh, verse 20, it says, for our citizenship is in where? Where does it say? In where? In heaven. For those who know Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. In the same way that Philippi was a Rome away from Rome, we are supposed to be heavenly citizens who are just away from heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? When people encounter us, they should encounter a peace of heaven in our life. They should, be, they should encounter a peace giver. Now, I'm not talking about a peace giver like if you change the letters, not P-E-A-C-E, but you're like, I'll give you a peace, right? A peace of my mind, right? <laughs> that's, that's what a lot of us like to give. We like to give a peace of our mind. But no, that's not what he's talking about here. He said, uh, hey, my beloved brethren, you stand fast because you are citizens of a different place. And because you're from a different place and you're not of this world, you don't have to be concerned as much with the things of this world. You can, you can count on your heavenly citizenship and know that one day God will make it all right. Isn't that a great promise? And, and we'll read a little bit more about that uh, here, here, right here in verse 21. He says, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, I didn't, we kind of touched on this last week, but I want to give you this cool thing. This is one of those things. Like, so today, if, you're, if your present is rocky because of a physical ailment, check this out. 
right there in verse 21, it says, our lowly body, and our bodies are pretty low, right? You know, mine is heavy and low, but, <laughs> but our bodies are low, and, and it says that we're going to be conformed to his glorious body. Think about resurrected Jesus for a second. What did resurrected Jesus do? He walked through walls, didn't he? He floated around on air. Are, are you gra- grasping what your citizenship is really like as a believer in Christ. If you're here today and you don't have Christ in your life, if you've never placed your faith in him, this is what you're missing out on, man. You're missing out on this kind of future that gives you this kind of peace in your present. Now, now check it out. A peace giver also gets a huge crown. Remember back in chapter 3, he said we're running a race to win a prize. Remember that was our verse last week. We, run, we press on to run the race to win the prize for which Jesus Christ has called us heavenward. This is the prize. It says that the Philippian church, right there in verse 1, check it out, look at it, look at it my, are my joy and my, what's that word? Crown. What's that word? Say it loud. Everybody look. I want you to get it. What is it? Crown. It's a crown. Do you know? that there is a reward for people who will lead other people to Jesus Christ and see them get peace. There is no peace apart from Jesus Christ. But the, the Bible says you'll get a crown. Now we know, and this is the, the, called the crown of rejoicing or the crown of exaltation, which is a reward in heaven. There are, if you didn't know this, there are five crowns that are available to a believer. Now, some of them are not all available because some of them are available to like a martyr. And the Bible says that when you get to heaven, if you have led other people to Christ and you've given them the peace of Christ, you will get a crown in heaven. It's like that's the trophy. Now, this one is from 1 Thessalonians 2.19, if you're taking notes. That's 1 Thessalonians 2.19, the crown of rejoicing. But, and then uh, some of us have heard before, this is a really cool thing. Um, We know in Revelation chapter 4 that it says the 24 elders are going to bow down and throw their crowns where? At the feet of Jesus. So if they're going to bow down and throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus, I don't know about you, but I would love to give Jesus as many crowns as possible. Like, yeah, I get to wear it for a little bit. I get to have like, oh, that's nice. And then it's like, oh, it's time. Let's throw them. And, and, uh, you know, I, I could imagine myself being there and going, oh, one, I'd love to go, two, three, four. Hey, are there any others? What can, what can I give Jesus? He deserves it all. Well, there's a crown and a reward for people who will give the peace of Christ in this lifetime. And here's the practical part where you apply being a peace giver. Look at this statement in your notes. You cannot expect to produce angst in the lives of others and have peace. Let, let me translate for a second. Some of us have our lives blowing up. I mentioned physical ailments and a hope that we have there. But some of us have relational ailments. Uh, anybody have that relationship gone south? <laughs> you know, uh, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, uh, friend, coworker, ex-friend, ex, you know, people you used to like. Well, that goes wrong. Many times our first, our first inclination as people, and my first inclination as a person, is to look and go, it's your fault that my life is messed up. It's your fault that it's all screwed up and jacked up, and I'm angry at you. Well, here's the cool thing. For those of us who want peace in our present, it starts by being a peace giver. You'd be surprised how much your situation can change just by being the one who gives the peace and not worrying about what everyone else is doing in your situation. And some of you are saying, my situation is messed up. And you may, you, the first step is you got to stop and look at your life and say, am I a big part of the problem here? Or am I a big 
part of the peace of Christ in this fire that I'm going through. And and so here's what happens. Look at verse 2. Here's your next point. Our second practice. Avoid meaningless division. Um, Sometimes we are a part of the problem. Look at verse 2 and 3. And you know what? Udia and Syntyche, two more names I would never name my kid, all right? I, I come through them like every week, and I'm going, wow, you know, what were they thinking? But <clears throat> here's what he says. You know, he says, I love you. You have to stand fast in the Lord. You have to know God's peace. You have to be a person who brings other people to Christ so you can have the crown of rejoicing. And then he says, I implore, and you know, this is like, you remember in school, like, I don't know about you, but in fifth, sixth grade, when my name was called, it was never a good thing, right? I know there are other guys in the room that can relate to that. Well, this is what happens to these two. It says, I implore, Udia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, meaning you're arguing, you're causing division. And I urge you also, true companion, Help these women who labored with me in the gospel. So these are good people. You know when good people start to do stupid things? Have you ever been a part of that? That's what's going on in Scripture right here. It says, I implore, uh, I, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are where? In the book of life. Their names are in the book of life. They're saved, but yet they're causing division. This should not be happening. You see, there are some things that we should get divided over. You want to know what one of them is? We should be divided over the deity of Christ. Scripture clearly teaches that Jesus is the Son of God, but some people use that to say he is not God. He's just the Son, but he is God. Scripture clearly teaches that. Clearly teaches that. You know what else we should be divided over? A marriage. Hey, this is my wife, or this is my husband, and you want to know what? We're divided from all the other people who are trying to creep in to our relationship for affairs and for divisiveness. You know what? We're going to divide out a little bit. What are the wrong things to divide over? You know what? Just about everything else. You know, there are people here you see that were causing division in the church over trying to be know-it-alls. You know, uh, over, who knows what they were arguing about? Doesn't even say. But whatever the case may be, they were being divisive. And, and that's not the point. You see, if we're aiming toward God's peace in the present, we have to avoid division and leave the unifying up to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, avoid the, the wrong things in this life. You know, getting divided over what we wear to church, getting divided over our haircuts, getting divided even over personality. These things cause division and they ruin peace. Are you a divider? Are you contributing to the division of friendships? Are you contributing to the division of something going on at work? Don't be, uh, because here's what we know. Um, We know that we do not want our name mentioned. (laughs) When Jesus is in the book of life, can you imagine? Because that's where their names were. He's reading your name. You're standing up in heaven because that's where our citizenship is, right? And he goes... You know, John, Jane, Joe, Sam, Jim, Jim, why were you divisive? <laughs> Can you imagine that ringing out in the line <laughs> across heaven? And, and Jim's just going, oh, that's not good. Well, well, we don't need to be like Udia and Syntyche having our name called for division all the time. If your name's getting called for division, stop, stop, settle down, know God's peace. Look at the third practice. I love this, and this is a great, great 
cliche statement right here. Your third practice is make the choice to rejoice. Make the choice to rejoice. Check out what Paul says here. He says, rejoice in the Lord how many times? Oh, how many times? Always. This is going to be a challenging statement. I read this when I was studying, and I went, ouch. This hurts Dave Carroll. I know this, this, hurts, this is going to hurt half the people in the room. Do you want to know what? If you are continually sad about something, continually. I'm not talking about, like, getting sad once in a while or something happens and you're down. But if there's something that you can't let go of that you're sad or that keeps you continually down, do you know that we're disobeying Scripture? That's rough. You know, I had junk happen to me like seven years ago in my life. And even now, I I go, man, some days, you know, you're just like, I wish I could just bring it up a notch and not be be so torn up about it, not be so sad. And, And I read the scripture, and then I read the challenge of if we're continually living in depression and sadness, we're not obeying God's word. And I, oh, does anybody else feel like that right now? You're feeling... Well, you mean to not just stay down in the to stay down the dumps can be sin? Yes. Yes, it can be. And this is what it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Do you see your ability to make the choice to rejoice? is how people see two people in the fire when you're going through the difficulties of life. People look at you and go, there's some, someone else helping them. It must be Christ. It must, the Lord is at hand in verse 5. That's what it's saying. So we have to choose this, and what we have to do is realize this is not a suggestion. This is a command to be happy. And the word rejoice there in the Greek. If you didn't know this, the Bible in the New Testament was first written in Greek. And uh, the word rejoice there means charity. Who is the great giver of everything in this life? God is the great giver. And so every time we make the choice to be depressed, the choice to be sad, every time we decide to stay down in the dumps continually, you know what we're saying? We're saying our God is not capable of giving us enough peace. Yeah. Make that choice to rejoice. Now, the opposite is worry. We can worry. Now, um, you know what the opposite is? Like, the opposite is like what I usually come out dressed in to go to a date with Amy, all right? You know, the opposite of what she wants. She was thinking khakis and tucked in, uh, buttoned down the front shirt. I was thinking shorts and a T-shirt and a hat, all right? And uh, you all know this, guys in the room, right? Or like when I tell my kids I want your room clean, somehow that means go play football in the backyard. You're right? you, you realize what opposite is there, right? The opposite of rejoicing is worry. Do, do you get it? When, uh, I know wives in the room, are, uh, you know, and, and girlfriends and things like that are going, yeah, exactly, opposite. I know what that means. I'm tracking. Well, the opposite is worry, and that's exactly what God doesn't want you to do. Many times he's saying, hey, you rejoice in me, rejoice in all I have to give. And we go and say, oh, that means go over here and start worrying about everything. And so um, what we have to do, our fourth 
practice is we must replace worry with trust. Worry with trust. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says this. Be anxious for nothing. Here's our verse, right, that we read aloud. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to who? To God. And here's the great promise. Check this out. This is peace in the present. If you want to grab peace in the present, grab this verse. When we're not anxious and when we bring it to God, it says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. You know what anxiety is? You want, you want a definition for anxiety? <laughs> anxiety is the belief that God is not as good as he says he is. Anxiety says, God, you're not good enough for this one. I, I, I need to take this on my shoulders. And, and so what we have to do is replace that anxiety, that worry. That's why he says, be anxious for nothing. That's a challenging statement. And here's what we have to trust. We see it in the scripture. I'll just read it. Look at these bullet points underneath. We have to trust our conversation with God really works. I know that many of us in our present, we come and we throw up prayers to God. And, and if you're like me, have you ever wondered if you're just talking to the ceiling? Like, uh, hey, I'm down here. I'm asking God for something, but nothing's happening. You have to trust that this thing called prayer, conversation with God, really does work. God really does hear you. God really can listen in and know what's going on in your life. Many of us do not believe this about God. Oh, he's just far off, and hopefully I'm coming to church so that he's happy with me. No. God's personal. You have to trust conversation. Trust the provision God gives. You may not think that you have enough in this life. You may not think there's enough love in your marriage. You may not think that there's enough discipline in your kids. You may not think that there's enough money to go around. You may not think that you have enough skill or enough looks or enough whatever. But, but here's the thing I know. God, he, the provision he's given you, it's enough. It's enough. And the places that you think have fallen short, the places where you're like, but why me? Why, why do I have this lot in life? Why am I going through this and not someone else? You have to trust that he will give you peace in that present. And here's why you can trust it. Because you know that when you get to heaven, he's making it all exactly better, exactly the way it's supposed to be. And you have to trust why he's doing that in your life. Here's the next trust. You have to trust the person of God. Now, we know from um, in Amos and other uh, books in the Old Testament that God is not a man. God became a man for about 33 years in, in Jesus Christ. But really, God is spirit, and there is a personhood of God, if you will. In other words, he has a will. He has a mind. You can grieve God. Uh, he, he feels, right? He feels what's going on. We, we know that um, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You have to trust that God feels the pain when he looks down at your fiery present. And he looks down and he says, ah, ah, not good. But all the while, you know what he's saying in your fiery present? He's saying, will you trust me? Will you get to know me? Will, will, you, will you believe that that I am who I say, say I am, that I'm as good as I really am. Will you believe it? You have to trust the person of God that he never fails. And here's the fourth trust. You have to trust God to protect you. You know, 
what many of us do is we walk up to that fiery furnace, if you will, if we're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And we get really close and we go, oh, but God, that's hot over there. <laughs> that, you don't understand. I feel the heat uh, of my present right now. Ooh, ow, ow. And so you know what we do? We don't, want, we don't walk further into his will requiring more trust that God can protect us. What we tend to do is do the opposite and we run back to worry, Right? Instead of going toward rejoicing, instead of going toward the extra guy in the fire, instead of going toward peace, we run back to where we think we can handle it. And then we sit lonely and afraid. Check out Psalm 55, 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. I love this. I love this. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Look back at Philippians 4.1. Paul said, stand fast in the Lord. Do you understand? When you begin to trust God, when you get to know God, all of a sudden the Bible says that you become like an immovable rock in your faith, and you, you're not going to move back toward worry. You're not going to move back toward toward uh, anxiety. What you're going to do is stand firm and trusting in God. Now, here's, here's something I've encountered. Can I be a little transparent with you and a little honest? Can I be just for a second? Um, one of the things I've encountered in Billings is many people, um, you know, I was talking with Cheryl about this just a little while ago. You know, I, I've been around a couple different places in the country, and uh, ma- some places have been, well, you've been, they just haven't ever been taught anything about God and his word. Okay, you know what I mean? Like, there's just, you know, when you find a lost person, here I'm finding often many people were not just not taught, they were taught wrong about who God is. Um, you know, because we've grown up in a world now where, like, religions are starting to mix, denominations are starting to mix, and people are, like, they're growing up saying, like, uh, well, yeah, Buddha, yeah, Muhammad, yeah, Jesus. And they're just going, yes, yes, whatever it is, yes, I just want, just want heaven. Well, I, I want to challenge you in this. If you're going to replace worry with trust, you have to get to know who God is. You're going to have to open the Bible. You're going to have to challenge yourself to something a little bit deeper. Because here's, here's the truth of the matter. When, when you read God's word, are there some places that are like hard to understand? Yes, most of those are for language purposes. But I'll tell you this, I've never read the Bible and had it hard to understand who God is. You know, is there a sentence where I go, huh, what does that word mean? Yeah, but I've never read it and went, who is God now? No, every time I read this thing, I open up and I go, oh, I know who God is. God's the God, like when Moses threw the stick in the bitter waters of Mara and he said, he is the God who heals. How many of you need to know God as the God who heals? Or how about when Hagar was um, taken advantage of by Abraham. She said, oh, you're the God who sees me. How many of you just need to know that God sees you? Or how about, how about Jeremiah, uh, over in Jeremiah 20, where he says, the Lord is with me like a dread champion. How many of you ever thought of God like, well, I hesitate to use Mike Tyson, but you know what I'm saying? How many, of you, how many of you ever thought of him as, this is the God who's there with me, and he has these huge boxing gloves on. He's my dread champion. He shows up, and, and people are like, oh, this is who God is. And you find out who God is by his word, and when you know who he is, now you can trust him. And, and you leave the anxiety that says he's not as good as he says he is, and you get into rejoicing, and you get into trusting, which says, oh, I know God, and he is good enough. This is what we have to do. 
with replacing worry with trust. We have to get to know who he is because it does make a difference. Check out Philippians 3.8. Remember this? We said when you let go of the past, the thing you have to grab onto is knowing Christ. Um, when we go back a couple messages, Philippians 3.8 says this. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Huh. All things for the knowledge of Christ. Because when you come to Jesus, you would find this out, reading scripture. You want peace in your present? He is the Prince of Peace. He doesn't need to come to you like a vending machine going up to God. God, can you distribute a little peace? No, he wants you to come to him as a child to a father saying, will you be my peace? Do you get what I'm saying? And here's the final practice. Practice number five. Manage your thought life wisely. Manage your thought life wisely. This verse speaks for itself. I love this verse. If you need a memory verse, you can do the one we read loud or this one. But it says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, he says, meditate on these things. Why is it that we like to replay the bad stuff over and over and over and over in our mind? Why is that when we go to work and something bad is happening? That's the thing we let dominate. When scripture says, how do we know God's peace? We change our mind and we repeat, we meditate. You know, the, the word meditate back in the Hebrew meant to murmur. You know, people, when they wanted to think on something all day long, they would go, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. They're just walking down the street and they murmur it to themselves. You know, they would just murmur all day long and it would be their thought. And, and it would be, and, and next thing you know, when, when you're meditating on who God is, it changes your mind. And then you're able to do what verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. This is how it works. And so um, you may say, Dave, how do I manage my thought life? There is really only one way to manage your thought life. You have to manage what goes in. You have to manage what goes in your ears. You have to manage what goes in your eyes because that is what is going in your heart. You continually stumped on pornography, continually listening to the latest gossip, continually being around filth, letting it all go in. You want to know what? It's going to compete and it's going to win every single time. It's like rust on a car. Once it's there, once the car starts rusting, it just kind of keeps going, right? And it's kind of difficult to stop. And, and, and so you have to learn to manage your thought life by what you put in, which is why we challenge you to read God's word as often as you can. Uh, every day, if possible, sometimes more. Um, and if you miss a day, it's okay, keep going. Because here's what 2 Corinthians 10.5 says. It says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing, destroying them, raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive. We are grabbing the ones <laughs> and holding on to them to the obedience of Christ. This is the practice of a peaceful person. You see, the peaceful person, to, to review, is a peace giver, not a peace taker. Peaceful person avoids meaningless division. A peaceful person makes the choice to rejoice, replaces worry with trust, and gets to know who God is. And manage manages his or her thoughts wisely. This is the peace of God. Now, think, come back to Daniel with me for a second. 
It's been said before that you are either just out of a trial, in a trial, or about to go through a trial in your present. You're, most people fall in one of those three categories. <coughs> Let's give you a question. Are you going to have Jesus in that fire with you? Is it going to be like Nebuchadnezzar who looks and goes, whoa, I threw three, but there's four. You know what? Satan might throw you in the fire and go, hey, I, I just threw her in the fire. Why is there a second? Why does that look like the son of man? <laughs> Why does that look like Jesus? The way to have peace in your present is to cling and to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. You can find out more about our church or listen to other messages at elevationbuildings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.